We've been beginning the new year um, taking some time to look at the, well, some of the, the difficult parts of Scripture, really. Uh, the beginning of the year is often those times where we start a new reading plan or devote ourselves to reading through all of Scripture. And at times when we do that, uh, we find things that maybe we didn't remember that were there before. We find things that um, uh, maybe we don't remember that they were there, right? We've never seen it before. And so through the last couple of weeks, the first week, we were looking at the law and the, and the various things that were in the law and trying to understand, well, how and in what way are we transformed by knowing that the Israelites weren't supposed to eat pork? Right? Uh, how are we supposed to be transformed by the ways that the Lord was trying to make the Israelite people holy? And last week we looked at the difficulty in Scripture that is some of the violence, the calling for, uh, by God, the killing of men, women, children, and infants, and all the animals. And, and what does that mean? Why is that in there? Does that mean that the God of the Old Testament is this evil, vindictive guy? Or is it the same? Is he the same in the New Testament? And, and so we went through that a little bit. This week, we're going to have the opportunity to head to the Psalms. And for many of you, you know, maybe, maybe you think of the Psalms and you think of some of these. Um, we'll see if this works. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Maybe you think of Psalm 23. Maybe you think of Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. <clears throat> Maybe Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Or maybe Psalm 150, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens. We're not going to head to any of those. Uh, those are, encur we, we know Psalms as encouraging and, and uplifting, those, those times where, uh, where you go uh, when you're in trouble, that you go to them and you ask them to speak into your life, or those times where we have uh, desire to praise God and we, we go to the ones like Psalm 150, but we're going to go to Psalm 137, and it's probably one of the most difficult psalms there is. It might be a little bit startling to you if you're not familiar with Psalm 137. It might even stop you in your tracks a little bit. Um, so we're going to read it and we're going to remember a few things uh, along with it that one, the Bible is a collection of books. Two, the Bible is not written for, or it is written for us but not to us. Number three, Never read only one Bible verse. We want to read a whole chapters. We want to read whole sections in that everything points to Jesus. So we're going to go uh, to Psalm 137. That should be page 505 in the Pew Bibles. Um, I don't know if there's any students with the student Bible, but that would be page 739. And we're going to read all nine verses this morning. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. 
For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. And then there's this verse. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. How many people have heard that one before? There's some. How many people have heard that for just the first time today? It's okay. All right. There's a couple of you. Yeah. A pretty graphic image. I found it interesting that we had a new baby born into the congregation this week, and I'm preaching on this. Don't worry, Tracy and AJ, I'm not going to make an example uh, or anything of that nature. But this would be called what we would call an imprecatory psalm. There's a variety of different types of psalms that we find out of the 150 psalms in uh, the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. An imprecatory psalm is a, a song of destruction upon your enemy. It's a song that is a curse towards your enemy. There's some uh, that could use this verse out of context to say that God hates babies, but I don't think that's, that's quite what's happening here. Um, like many psalms, though, this invites us into the experience of the person who was writing the psalm. This first verse of Psalm 137 gives us an idea of what was going on. It, it, it sets up the history of really this passage for us. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. The psalm relates to an experience that the kingdom of Judah, the people of Judah, had. Now, if you, you don't remember, um, Israel actually was divided up into two kingdoms at one point. One was Israel, uh, and then the other was Judah. And in 586 B.C., or roughly around there, the people of Judah in Jerusalem were carried off into exile. It had all started when King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians laid siege on Jerusalem for 30 months. The Babylonians captured the people of Judah, the people that were living in Jerusalem, and they carried them off to a new country. And as we 
kind of heard within one of the verses, they tore down and they destroyed Jerusalem. They, they tore down the temple that was in Jerusalem, tearing it down to the foundations, taking people, taking some people and making them trek the somehow somewhat over 900 miles to live in a new country. But others, others didn't receive that fate. Part of the way that the ancient Near Eastern War worked is that men, women, and children, and infants were killed. There's people that could retravel, uh, recall the travel, and there's people that could recall their friends, their family, their acquaintances not making that trip. And as they, they sat by the rivers of Babylon, as they remembered those lost friends, the lost children, the lost infants, all they could do was weep. Maybe when we understand the bitter circumstances of this chapter, maybe then we aren't necessarily super surprised at the chapter's ending. We hear within this passage the people longing for something different. We hear tangibly the, the pain that they felt and probably the anger that they have towards their enemy. You know, here are God's chosen people the people that God had brought out of slavery in Egypt, the people that had, had gone in the wilderness for 40 years, that had come to a land that God had, had sought to give them. And now, they're no longer in that land as another country has forced them out. So much difficulty could be thought within that, but, you know, I guess maybe you could say that it wasn't necessarily all bad. They had been laid siege for 30 months, but now that they're in Babylon, they have food to eat, because largely when someone laid siege to you, they try to cut off all sources of water and food so that you essentially starve the people out of the city. Now the people have food, and and even the prophet Jeremiah would, would go on to say, invest yourself in this place. Go plant gardens, plant fruit trees, build homes, build yourself a life in this new place. Perhaps we could say that that's some maybe good things that were given to them, that were instructed upon them but it doesn't stop the people from weeping. 
and lamenting. Oftentimes, those good things that happen don't often get rid of maybe some anger or bitterness or frustration that is in our hearts and minds. In the midst of experiencing all these things, they wanted them to sing happy songs. They wanted them to sing songs of joy. But we read that these people of Judah had hung their harps up on the trees. Their, their lyres and harps, the instruments that were used in, in praise and in joy, they couldn't bear to use them. And they saw it as, I guess, another form of oppression, another form of perhaps abuse by the Babylonians. Sing us a song, a happy song. As I was talking with uh, Steve Germany about this passage, um, he reminded me of a, a movie, uh, The Lord of the Rings, and there's this section where Pippin uh, goes and is kind of in service of a king, as a Demethor, right? And, and the, the picture is Demethor sitting there eating food and fruit and all this stuff, and he says to Pippin, well, do you sing? Well, yeah, I kind of sing. Well, sing me a song. And Pippin isn't maybe necessarily happy to be in service of the sky, and the song he sings, you could say, is of more of a haunting, saddened nature. And that, I guess, is maybe what you could say that this song is. The Babylonians say, sing us a song, sing us a song of joy. And so the psalmist writes, an imprecatory psalm, a song of, of a curse upon the very people that desired the song to be sung. They were notably frustrated as they wrote this psalm, probably. They wanted vindication. They, they wanted their God, the God that had carried them through their entire life had carried their ancestors through the hard times of life. They wanted this God of justice to, to do something. They wanted his justice to come in right now, then and there, to have the oppressors experience the same thing that they had experienced when they were taken from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And that brings us to this difficult verse, this verse that jars our senses. We who are living in the modern world, we, we, don't, we don't understand deeply the, the way war worked, but we've heard of it. We heard of it last week, the killing of men, women, infants, children, killing of everything in the land. And the dark realities is that often, often more than just soldiers and men were doomed to destruction. 
We would say that there were atrocities that would happen during war. Um, there's other passages in Scripture that talk about the death of infant, but also the ripping out of an infant from the mother's womb during the time of war. Unimaginable to us. Graphic and cruel. And that's what this psalmist wants the Babylonians to experience. They want justice served on the oppressors because of the way that they had experienced things. May they experience the same things we did. That's what verse 8 said. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. From experience, they call God to, to bring his justice. And largely, they were likely thinking about the passage that they had known well of retributive justice where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, a child for a child, an infant for an infant. I wonder if the reason we don't go to these passages very often is that we don't like wallowing and we don't like thinking of these things. We, when we maybe experience bad things, we like to go to the, the pious area, the, well, you know, just trust in God, right? We like to go to the thinking about good things and thinking about how God will get you through it. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But honestly, I think this passage and other ones like it, these difficult psalms, are an invitation to us. Just like maybe this, the psalmist and the people of Judah hung their lyres and hung their harps up on trees when they experienced this difficult thing. Maybe, maybe God then is asking us to hang up our platitudes, hang up our pious thoughts, to wallow in, to experience, to allow ourselves to think and maybe even speak what's in our very heart when we experience those difficult moments and to speak them right back to God, just as this psalmist does. Maybe he invites us in to do the one thing that we're so hesitant to do, which is speak our mind, perhaps, to God, desiring justice in certain areas, speaking those words that perhaps we don't think are worthy to be spoken or those words that we don't think are maybe appropriate to be spoken. Here we find this, this call to justice, this, this curse upon the Babylonians, And I think even within this, there is this, there is this thread of hope that, that the psalmist has. This thread of hope that 
if he writes these words, that God will actually triumph and, and make justice come to pass at some point in their lifetime. Or maybe it wouldn't even become in some point of their lifetime, but it would come for the next generation would be able to experience God's justice, the release of the people from Babylon. With everything that they've experienced that should tell them otherwise, the destruction of the temple, the the bringing them into exile, the psalmist is convinced that somehow God will triumph over the nation of Babylon. If we keep reading Scripture, what we find out is he does. God does triumph over the nation of Babylon. God actually raises up a whole other nation, the nation of Persia, And it's Persia that will bring justice to the Israelite people by overthrowing the Babylonian Empire. And within a couple hundred years after the overthrowing of the Babylonian Empire, the Babylonian Empire won't even exist anymore. On top of this justice, then the Persians will also institute and and begin the, the renewal of God's people by sending them back to Jerusalem, by offering to give them the the necessities needed to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and rebuild the city. This nation of Persia will provide everything to restore the Israelite homeland. But I don't think it will come, I know it didn't come in the way that that the Israelites were perhaps hoping in this psalm that was a curse. Because largely the, the Persian takeover over the Babylonians was what you would call peaceful. And maybe that peaceful takeover can remind us of some of the things that Christ taught us in the New Testament. Maybe it reminds us of how Jesus told us to interact with our own enemies. When an enemy desires that you carry something, why don't you carry it longer than they expect? When someone asks for your coat, why don't you give them the shirt as well? But they his response goes beyond the physical things. It, it moves into our spiritual world as well. When he asks us to pray for our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus bringing a, a different approach. One that doesn't begin with cursing. One that begins with praying. But I think when we do go through Scripture, what we do find is we do find the death of the son. The death of someone's child. The child of heaven. 
It's Jesus, the, the child of heaven, the son of the Father, the one that came in, in grace and in truth that ultimately brings the fulfillment of God's justice within this world. And, and we see how this son lived, experiencing the, the curses perhaps that have been said in the past and in these Psalms, experiencing the, the weight of other curses, the curse of sin in the world experiencing the, the curse of being hung on a tree in the midst of bearing all these curses and, and bearing all these things. In First Peter, we find that when people hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. He didn't say, may may." Someone do, happy is the one who, who does what you did to me, to you. He didn't say that. He, perhaps like the psalmist at some point, recognized that it would be God who would judge, and it would be God who would judge justly in God's own time. In the same way, we perhaps call, call on God for justice, not knowing in, in what time he would respond. We don't know his way. We don't know his time. We don't know what way. We don't know by what authorities. And yet we still call on him to bring about justice. And even though we might not experience that justice here in this world, we know, we know at, at some point that, yes, it will be God that brings about this justice at some point. We, we know the, the part of the story where, where Christ will come back and renew all things. We, we know that this, this Jesus who had experiences, experienced all the curses of, of life, the one that said, God, why have you forsaken me? He will never forsake us. We know that, that when Christ come, he will renew all things, but I think there's the difficult part within that that we must always remember. That when Jesus comes to restore all things, that he also ends up being the judge of all things. That all those who are perhaps like this psalmist that are calling for the justice of God and, and believe that God will bring about this justice and that those who, who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior will experience this justice through the, the power of the Spirit and Christ's righteousness. But, but there's the other side of that coin. The hard truth is that there will be a sense of justice, justice and, and judgment for those who have rejected this Christ. And I think that makes it for us more imperative and more important that we 
as God's people treat each individual with respect, that we would would consciously and fervently and continuously pray for the salvation of God in all the people, in all the lives that we meet. That all people would come to know the justice of God that comes through Jesus' salvation. That all people would come to know how Jesus himself makes us right with God so that we would have no fear when that judgment comes, that we would have no fear when God executes his justice here in this world because we will be safely held within his hand. Let us pray together. Lord, you've given us these pieces of Scripture to help us understand something about you. How even in the midst of this psalm calling for a curse, you brought justice in a peaceful way. And even though Jesus himself experienced all the the curses in life, he did it so we would experience justice in a peaceful way. That it would not cost us our life because it cost Christ his. Cause us to trust more deeply in you, but also cause us to share that message, to pray for your salvation to be experienced by all here in the world. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.